Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray and this is the 71st episode in a weekly series called Borderlands Revisited. Here with me is Mikey Newman, Chief Creative Champion from Gearbox. Last week's discussion was a discussion with Jer Jessica Marison, Community Manager from BioWare, Krista Hauser from Fifth Column Games, Victoria Cooper from the HGL and Retake Movement. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Monday, July 16th, and we are going to discuss some Borderlands and learn some more about Mikey. So let's start with the news of the week. All right, news of the week. Multiple Xbox consoles could be in our future, and the question for you is, do you think this will happen? A patent has been filed for plans for Microsoft, which is not really unusual, but this one includes details that are similar to those included in the now famous Xbox 720 leak that came out last month. Basically, they are creating several platforms, I assume, for... Um, having different price points, and these appear to be upgradable. Um, definitely potentials for streaming content to nearby tablets, recording TV shows, basically maintaining the basic OS, but having network traffic options. Do you think that this will actually happen, or do you think it's just another of the endless patents that Microsoft puts out all the time? I guess you're asking me. That was, that I was, am. I was like, I, I zoned you. into like listening to NPR there. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like that, isn't it? it? It was a little bit. It was like you introduced me like five minutes ago. I know. And then I was like, um, right. So the question was, do I think that Microsoft is creating multiple Xboxes with the like basically different SKUs and the ability to upgrade between them and, and things like that? Yeah, basically like a PC in the version that you can just buy one Xbox and over time kind of upgrade it rather than constant ones every two years. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's like they're not doing that right now. They obviously experimented with different SKUs when they launched this. I mean, the 360. There was the, you know, the arcade version without a hard drive, and there were different hard drive sizes. And it, it seems like to me that that's just a natural progression. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, consumers want to spend money to get into something and be an early adopter, and maybe they want to spend more money later to get something outside of it. I mean, obviously, the main thing they need to not do is splinter their user base, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I'm sure there's a lot going on with, with whatever Microsoft's doing. Um, they clearly are starting to experiment with, with not splintering, but, but splitting their user base into new categories, obviously with Connect, and they're bringing out the smart glass stuff. So obviously, there's a lot going on there. Um, they're really smart. They, they seem to do the right thing. Uh, I mean, since the Xbox 360 came out, like that, that was a big turning point, uh, from my perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, for, I mean, they became the heavy hitters to me, so. I could see that. It makes sense, I suppose, if you're going to have different consoles, like you said, for the specific things, like maybe Connect requires a different distribution of uh, hardware than, you know, your standard, um, regular console player or somebody who's, I mean, that makes sense to me. I was kind of confused on why you would have multiple Xboxes, but now that you kind of said that, it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, I, it's, they, they seem to be experimenting a lot more with what 
their audience wants than I guess Nintendo or Sony. Um, I mean, Sony had the their their move peripheral, um, but it, I, I don't know if they they were necessarily pushing that as hard as a Connect. I mean, Microsoft was like, Connect is the greatest thing ever. You must play it. Yes, and and well, you you go through Dance Central one time, and you're like, okay, no, yeah, that that's pretty amazing. <laughs> it is. They should use it more, though. I think it's underused. It's hard. It's hard to to use. I mean, from a developer perspective, it can be difficult to figure out how to use it, or do you want to use it on top of something? Like, obviously, Mass Effect Three used it in addition to gameplay to make the game better, and that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Skyrim. Um, yeah, I, I I would love to do that kind of stuff. But it does get, um, it can be a little more expensive from the development side, obviously. I would assume so, yes. But yeah, I, if, if you're, if you're gonna do it right, I mean, you really wanna, you wanna really wanna go for it, you know. It will be neat to see what happens with, uh, the concept of smart glass and some of the, you know, switching between tablets and your, your main screen and other things, how that will affect Connect and if that will work you know, if that's going to be like a totally different branch that they're going to go on, or if they're going to somehow figure out a way to integrate that where you can actually like maybe name your your screens or something. Yeah, smart glass seems a little different to me. Like I, I when it was announced, it was it was kind of strange to me how some people in the press and some people just in the the social networking sphere mm-hmm. were talking about it. <laughs> I, I don't know how that to say sphere. that other than that voice. The sphere of <laughs> social sphere. networking. It's like people that like that's that's what they say their job is. I'm a social networking expert. I'm like, yeah, I'm unemployed too. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm just kidding. I think like uh, saying I'm a farm. What is that? Agricultural engineer. You play farm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's coming up with a crazy name. You, yes, you tweet and go on Facebook. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. Now, um, uh, when they announced Smart Glass, I was I was immediately blown away by what they didn't do, which was introduce another peripheral and something that we would have to buy to use it. Um, it, it was just like, they were like, yeah, it works with like 200 different peripherals. The stuff you already have, it probably works with your phone, your iPad, or, you know, your Zoom, whatever. I thought that was really, really cool because the chances are you can, you can use this on top of the game. I see. You're saying, hey, thanks for not yeah. making us buy more stuff. Yeah. And I, th- I think that that is really cool. I really only had to watch the Game of Thrones interactive map to be totally sold on it. <laughs> I was just like, yes, I would like to fly around Westeros <laughs> while watching the show. <laughs> there will always be a Stark on Smart Glass. Yeah. They, they, they just put little, uh, full frontal nudity icons for every scene. <laughs> Theon Greyjoy's. Interactive. Greyjoy. Yeah. <laughs> but. I, yeah, I, I thought that that technology was was incredible. I think it's it's the future. It's very very smart, and I can't even imagine how hard it is to test that on that many different peripherals. Oh yeah, it's got to be hell. Good point. Okay, in other news, in Diablo three, disgruntled fans have been talking. The community manager, I'm gonna butcher this too, Bashok. I believe is how you pronounce his name. He admits that Diablo 3 has an actual ending, unlike WoW, and he even admits that simply farming new items from enemies is just not enough for a long-term sustainable endgame, obviously. He also says the development team expected the item hunt to keep players engaged for longer than it has, and people expected it to be more of an MMO style with continuation, and they're looking for further content options, which I don't think is that surprising, but I guess considering the wait for Diablo 3, people felt like oh, this should have been more of an endless game, like an MMO style, rather than just like Diablo 2. I don't know, do you play Diablo 3? I did, I played a lot of it. Um, I actually recently at E3 sat down with a lot of the people that worked on Diablo 3. I'm, I'm a big fan. I oh. can definitely see where the 
the desire for more comes from. I mean, it's it's freaking Diablo, right? Like we <laughs> we experienced that on Borderlands. We kept making DLCs, and people kept wanting it. You know, because you you devour all the content you make, and you and you want more. Um, I'm sure starting off on the wrong foot. I don't know if you played Launch Night. That was not oh. the biggest launch of all time. <laughs> and it was funny because like people were complaining about it. And I remember talking to people, even industry people, because they were like, there's no excuse for that. I'm like, there's no excuse for six million people trying to log <laughs> at the same time. Do you like, remember when World of Warcraft launched? I mean, just really yeah. people. It- well, it's just like, how do you, prefer- they were like, well, they should add more servers. I'm like, for a day, for 24 hours? Because obviously they, they would never have that problem again. Like just I see people would try million. and then yeah, it was gonna it was gonna be a problem for a night, and obviously that that sort of stacked up by launching you know across the ocean earlier, and then those weren't weren't working, and then that was just stacking up the numbers over and over, and obviously you're gonna get into a, a problem there. I mean they, that that was the quickest I've ever seen any company react and fix amazingly well. Um, because within two days, I think everybody's pretty much just normal. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, then it's like, how fast can we devour this content and get to the end? <laughs> yeah. Did you play Insane? Do you play it like that? The Insane mode? Oh, the hardcore mode? Yeah, hardcore. They're saying like, if you complete that, that there's a sign at the end saying you've completed the game. And that's that's the, the complete. You're supposed to play it all the way through Jeez. on that. I, I'm, I Maybe in my youth, I was more of that gamer. <laughs> I don't know. I, I like, Diablo is great because I can play with friends and we can collect stuff. We can have a good time. I mean, you you get ten minutes into that game, and I think it should be pretty obvious you're not playing World of Warcraft. Yeah, the combat is clearly not quite as deep. There's not as many item types. I mean, obviously in World of Warcraft, there's like four different colors or white to get, you know, mm-hmm. and then and then in in this one, it's really just the three colors. I only play it multi. I don't think I've ever played it like single player. It's kind of built that way for me that I feel like, you know, I want to play it in a group and run through all the content. Yeah. Well, when you watch when you watch everybody's powers mix, that's that's really cool. Um, I mean, not to bring back up Borderlands, but that's obviously like our bread and butter is, right. is swap and watching people mix uh, classes and try different things. And I mean, it's Diablo three is like a really fun game. You should feel like you got your money's worth, and then you you move on. I, I don't think they really wanted anybody to play it forever. Um, I don't think they can sustain that. Yeah, I don't know that it was designed that way, but I'm sure they'll have extra content coming up for people that have completed it already. And the, I think the point is, it's kind of like, um, and I hate to say this because everyone hates that comparison, but, you know, it's a torchlight, or it's like uh, any of the other games you fl- you play, like for a player, where you just go back in and, you know, keep doing it over and over and over and keep farming yeah. it until you've gotten everything. And that's kind of the fun of it. I think the sort of sticking point for me to be... Starting a debate that doesn't need starting. Um, <laughs> by introducing a real money auction house, you are sort of implying that your game is something you will play for a long time. Because I can't imagine, like, charging people money for something where once you beat it, you're done, you can leave, you know? I, that, that to me is sort of a disconnect. Um, I... and it feels like they're testing technology for something else. Um, I mean, they obviously have the biggest MMO on the planet, and they're working on another one. So to me, it feels like a test bed for that mm-hmm. to see how well that can work. But like, yeah, I, there's definitely a disconnect between, yeah, you can beat the game, and it's a game that's sort of fun. You know, you have a good time, but like paying actual money and like large sums of money, like I, like I would imagine people, like if if the real money auction house existed in World of Warcraft, and there was a hardcore mode, just to like throw two things from Diablo into World of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what would happen is immediately you'd get celebrities because hardcore mode and MMO seem like 
really good bedfellows and something really interesting, but also there would be a desire to spend real money on things that keep you alive. Um, Rating so, would be ridiculous. I mean, it's already ridiculous. If you want to call it hardcore <laughs> mode, you know, I mean, it's ridiculous enough without having to pay for items that, yeah, we'd be poor. Well, it'd have to be a different game. I don't, I'd like, clearly, WoW is not designed for you never to die. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but I do think there's a, there's a really interesting feature there where a game like Diablo 3 with all the same features was something larger. Um, yeah, a real money auction house and hardcore mode, I think, would be something really cool. Because you would watch these like celebrities emerge, um, the highest level you know in an MMO in a hardcore game like that guy would immediately be famous, and then people would be gunning for him like a PVP on that would be a whole different thing. But um, that's that's interesting to think about. Something nobody's really done yet. It's true. Well, if you're going to have that happen, Blizzard uh, with BattleNet and everything set up is pretty much perfectly aligned for it. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens in the future with them. Yeah, I'm only combining puzzle pieces they've already done in different games. So, like, clearly they're set up better than anyone to do that. <laughs> Very good. You may remember a few weeks ago, uh, EA Games label president Frank Abo. He told Games Industry International that EA was going 100% digital and everybody freaked. Um, I found that interesting because... Right on the rider of that, basically, EU courts declared that gamers' ability to resell their games, um, which has been on the decline, is now good to go, basically saying that you are allowed to resell your digital copy and that EA has no obligation to support the resale of digital games, but that a third company, third party company could do it. Uh, it makes me wonder if Steam is just like salivating, uh, at this and how if this is going to affect cost of games, like if people are going to market them up at the beginning for upfront costs, or if that's going to affect it at all. What do you think about that? You said a, an interesting phrase in there um, before before talking about Steam. You said um, third party, yes. which was like, that, that implied to me that the person you bought the game from digitally was not the people you you sold it to. Um, Correct. You which, sell, they have to get a separate license for you to resell it as a used game, and a third party is somehow supposed to be the one who interacts between you and the first seller? I, my, my, my gut is telling me that will never work. There'll be too many problems. Mm. Uh, not least of which is that you're reselling things that don't exist. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, that's a I mean, whole other. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I work in the industry. I, I make my money based on, on how good we sell in the industry. So obviously I'm not as keen on used game sales as, as consumers are, which is cool. That's going to be a disconnect, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, like if I were to buy a game over digital download from one of the numerous sites you can do that from, and then I sold that digital download to somebody else, like that, like DRM already makes that never work. But like in my head, I just, just did anyone who would even think like that is really disturbing to me because you're not actually selling anything. You're simply selling the license to somebody and they're reselling it. Um, yeah, but this from a person who knows that you can sell your World of Warcraft character for a million dollars if it's well equipped and has all the, you know, that's been going on like under the. See, I have no problem time. with. I have no problem with that. Like you did it, you created the thing. You should be able to sell that. Like somebody else, like taking a copy of one of our games and reselling it digitally, which is just a license, which is just something handed down, mm -hmm. uh, and profiting off that seems really, really strange to me. It's um, been quite the debate. I, I was talking to Jameson Durrell from Volition about that. He's very adamantly against that, and we've had the discussion before on the show, so I'm sure people know, but definitely it's kind of a, a divisive like <laughs> topic. And I could well, it, it's, been a, it's been a rough 
friggin' year for for a lot of people in this industry. And I mean, I I think that it's, it's good that people are standing up. Um, I, like the numbers are are a little scary. Like people that that buy used games are taking money away from the developers. Um, Wouldn't you rather see the person who bought the game get a little bit return rather than like GameStop or something who gets like a hundred percent of the resale uh, costs? You know what I mean? Like if, if I yeah yeah, cars. if money's getting back into consumers' hands, obviously it's going to go back to to companies eventually. I'm not going to name any any resellers by name, but yeah, it it you can look at so many stories this year that have been impacted by money going to large corporations that don't actually make games and they're not giving any money back. I mean, the Hollywood solved this a long time ago. Um, even when like Blockbuster Video was first around, if if they got movies to rent them to people, they bought them at a premium, like $100 a cassette of like City Slickers or something. Uh, <laughs> I'm serious. It was like a literally $100, you know. Um, so that the studios had money to recoup off of, you know, the, the product they made. Um, I'm not trying to engender any sympathy for Hollywood or anything. <laughs> Laser disc. But I, I think you could look at the, the state of the game industry and and people getting on forums and, and decrying the publishers and decrying all these things where studios are shutting down left and right all the time, and yet they'll decry that and then they'll go buy a used game copy and maybe they don't quite understand that that's so part of the problem. Mm. The money's not getting back to the developers. The developers won't stay in business, period, end of story. See, I don't understand uh, when I see games that go free-to-play, which is kind of like the cool thing to do for video games right now, uh, how a developer gets money for that. I guess they get it from you know things like auction houses or extras or something like that, but is that enough to really sustain you know, a game developer to do that? Depends on the game. I think League of Legends developers Riot would have something very... Very interesting to say on that subject, as uh, my understanding is they're doing incredibly well um, off, off going free-to-play. Um, TF2 obviously has gone free-to-play, and I'm pretty sure Valve would not have done that if that was not a super sustainable business model. Uh, um, you just give them with a team that competes basically is good, <laughs> otherwise you're kind of... Yeah, if your game is awesome, and that's always been true in the game industry. If your game's awesome, you do better than if your game sucks. Like, that's just... Like, it doesn't matter if your game costs 60 bucks or if it's free-to-play with DLC you have to pay for um, a good game's gonna do well in either business model, a bad game's gonna eat shit in either business model. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's, that's the truth of it. Obviously, League of Legends and Team Fortress 2 are both amazing, incredible games. <laughs> so, so they've done really well. I mean, it's, it's not like you pick a business model based on something else that's been successful. You, you look at why your game should be successful and build a business model around it. Okay, I see that. So let's move to you. What is your news of the week? My news of the week? Yes. I've been so out of it. Um, <laughs> you did not go to Comic Con. You told me. Yeah, I did not. I I I was hoping there would be news of the week from Comic Con because there was that Firefly panel mm. with Joss and the cast of Firefly. I was I was hoping they'd be like, and we're making more Firefly. <laughs> no. That was that needed to be the news of the week. Although, did you see Nathan Fillion kiss that guy for charity? Sorry, totally. I saw Nathan <laughs> Fillion cry during the panel, which made me cry, and then Aww. Joss cried, and everyone was it was awful. It was well. It was great. Why was he crying? Because people loved it so much, or what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, well, Josh said some really nice things to him, but yeah, I mean, I I don't think Nathan Fillion's kidding around. Like he was not getting starring roles, and he was told he couldn't get starring roles. He wasn't starring role material, and then out of nowhere comes this this show that 
pretty much defines him forever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, he clearly feels deeply indebted to that. And he clearly loved that character a whole lot, you know? Cause I mean, like, it, it's funny. I, I had seen him in a few things before that. And I don't think I even realized I saw them in it. Um, he was in Saving Private Ryan. He played the other Private Ryan. It's really fun to go back and watch this movie. The, 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 the Private Ryan that thinks both of his little brothers are dead back in, um, the United States. He cries. Oh, wow. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's Nathan Fillion. And, uh, he was on Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Well, <laughs> I never like, saw that. It, yeah. Well, you're lucky. Um, but it's funny to look at how quickly he skyrocketed because now Castle is a huge thing. Obviously, that's on its, what, fifth season, I think, something like that. Um, which is, I mean, he's made, there's probably 22 episode seasons on network TV. So he's, I mean, he's probably made like 650% more of that than he ever made of Firefly. <laughs> but like, clearly it still means a, a great deal to him and, and to everybody else. I, 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 M quoted as saying a few times that Firefly is the only TV show to ever bat a thousand. Um, well, Joss Whedon's amazing. I mean, pretty much everything he did. I, I'm watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer season two right now, um, and I haven't seen a lot of the episodes, and it, he's really good. Yeah, yeah, but like even Buffy, there's really bad episodes in there. <laughs> it's campy. It's definitely campy. Like Firefly, every episode is great. You, you're like, oh, did you see this episode? And you, you talk about it, and somebody will be like, oh my god, yeah, that episode is so good. <laughs> well, the ratio, uh, there's so few, the ratio of it. <laughs> right, but even still, like it, they did that in the movie, so I'm, I'm kind of glad stuff's not happening with it, because I don't, I don't want to like break that, because I really did just uh, go out mic-dropping. Well, like, how did you feel about Serenity, then? So, here's a, here's a funny, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoiler alert if that's even something i can do it's been like forever since the movie came out but i remember i went to one of those the can't stop the signal screenings where they were doing the pre-screenings hmm. with like temp score and stuff um but i was a huge fan of the show i watched it like when it aired originally and then watched it all on dvd again obviously later but um i went to the to the movie screening and i remember at the moment the the leaf on the wind moments happened it's been a long time <laughs> oh a long time since i've seen that spoiler alert that's where wash dies and the the there was a lady two rows back and i remember how loud she was crying it was so surreal i mean obviously i was affected i was like did that just happen in a movie oh my god but she was like that 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 uh it was almost like a TV show where somebody find, finds out somebody just died and they do that. Yeah, that, that like noise, ugly you know? cry. Yeah. yeah, an ugly cry. That's a great way to say it. She was so inconsolable, they had to they had to take her out of the movie. <laughs> oh, and I, they escorted I, her out? Yeah. She was disturbing I, people? Yeah, and it, it's it's maybe it says something about my childhood on how I saw Star Wars. But when that happened, and then that happened in the theater, like when the wash thing happened and then she started losing it, I, I remember actively having the thought that I just had my Star Wars moment. I'm like, oh, this is what it felt like when they found out that, that Darth Vader was Luke's father. Also, spoiler alert. I hope that's like... <laughs> you don't have to spoiler alert that one. But, but I, you know, as a, as a young kid, I mean, I was born in 82, and the last movie came out in 83, right? 83? Like, I don't remember. Um, and... I watched them all out of order as a kid, and like, that never affected me. And they were really cool, but Star Wars never meant the same thing to me. Mm. Um, probably because I did watch them out of order. 
but yeah, I was, I remember being at Serenity and I was like, okay, I did. I now have had one of those moments at a movie that was so profound <laughs> that I know what that was like. I know what it was like when people were like, dude, it's Luke's father. I understand. Like kids today are like, well, obviously, because Anakin's in these movies and these are the only ones we watch. Right. Although I did have a five-year-old once explain to me that Anakin was Darth Vader's father and I got really confused. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? You know the Anakin's, like, you saw the movies, right? <laughs> and you, yes, little children, humor them. It's okay. They, they love the prequels. That's all you gotta know about being a kid is that kids are stupid. We all like Star Wars, but that's all we had. If we were kids now, we'd be like, the prequels are the greatest thing ever. Uh, probably. Well, the animated series is good. I have to say that. And I feel the same way about Roswell, I think, as you did about certain Roswell? Things. I know. Everyone thinks it's what? horrible. I loved Roswell with a passion. Wasn't Catherine Heigl on that show? Yes, she was. And the so mopey many people guy? From, the mopey like, guy with the mopey look? Yeah, he was in um, Buffy, actually. Oh. That What's his name? The guy who played Max? I don't remember. And yeah, uh, the, the cast of characters was not stellar, but for some reason, I love Roswell. Wow, that, I will not meet anyone else within the next few months. They'll say <laughs> <laughs> I will meet people that are like, "I'm a fan of Firefly," probably every day of my life. Yes, actively saying they're a fan of Roswell. <laughs> I don't know. I like uh, to just put uh, it out there and let the chips fall as they may. They are falling. <laughs> they are falling around you. <laughs> He's alarm. like, I will never respect you. <laughs> Where's the hangout button? We're done. Oh, wow. Think, though, about how many people that were in Roswell, as were in Buffy, and pretty much all the rest of Joss Wheaton's stuff. Like, he loves to kind of throw the same people together. That girl who played Darla, the vampire, that blonde chick, she was in Roswell. I don't know their actual names. (laughs) Sorry. There's a lot of people, if you look it up. Yeah, Darla was on uh, Dexter as well. see. Spoiler alert, she's not on it anymore. <laughs> That's another one I have to watch. Now I'm just going to spoil every show I can. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Roswell was terrible. <laughs> that is yep. not a spoiler alert. Oh, well. Yeah, it might have just been... Anything with Catherine Michael, I think, is just bad. Well... Like, it's a blanket rule. And I watched Grey's Anatomy, and I kind of liked it, and I still think it's bad because she was on it. Yeah, but she was, spoiler alert, terminally ill in that show. You didn't enjoy that part? Did she actually end up dying? She didn't end up dying, did she? Uh, I thought she just, like... They operated and saved her. Although she left, though, remember? Horribly. Like yeah, she... Well, she left, like, three times until they brought her back and saved her. Because I remember they killed the other guy that left. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was that was another bus. moment. We are like, what? Well, they, yeah, yeah. They left the... Yeah, now we're talking... Now no one is listening to your story. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Now everyone is hung up because we're like, oh, my God, the ending of season three goes down to me? <laughs> George almost dies? What? Actually, George does that. He uh, does die. Or season five, I don't remember. It was the one before they shot everybody, because that was the greatest episode ever. Like, I just walked in the hospital and started shooting. That happened a eight. lot, though. But this time oh, no, know. he shot, like, the whole cast. It was crazy. <laughs> he just kept shooting. If you hated that show, watch that episode. That's what I did. I stopped watching for, like, a season and a half, and I was like, oh, everybody gets shot? I'll watch this. <laughs> this is great. You're a horrible person. Kind of. Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah. Oh, no. I wish everybody in Grey's Anatomy gets shot so they can stop their soap opera bullcrap. <laughs> All right. Back to gaming. Yeah. <laughs> now that everyone has stopped listening forever. Right. Well, let's start with how you got into gaming. What made you... Were you a gamer, like, as a child? How did you become... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Um, 
it's it's funny. I remember when I was five, I had just turned five, and I guess not just because of April. I, I guess like later in the year, um, I got a dog, and as it turns out, I'm deathly allergic to dogs. Oh no! Well, not. I mean, the the death part of the allergy is is definitely gone. But I mean, I had really bad asthma as a child, so. That triggered really, I mean, I was in the hospital. So we had to give away our dog. Um, I think I had it for like six days. I, I had a dog for six days. Um, uh, it was a tiny little, it was golden dog. I remember it was gold. I remember that. And, uh, we gave it away and my parents bought me a Nintendo entertainment system with, with the power pad and duck hunt and Mario. It's a con- um, t- consolation prize for the dog. Like, yeah, no, I was, I was just like, fuck dogs, this is awesome. Like, that was just like <laughs> where, where I immediately went after that again. Uh, um, yeah, I didn't know what to say to that. I wasn't going to say good trade, you know. No, well, yeah, because everybody, I mean, a lot of people are like, I'm a gamer and a dog lover. Like, those seem to cross over. Like, the corgi obsession is really strange to me. <laughs> um, but I think my, my body reacted so violently to that moment with the dog that I never really can grow attachments to dogs, really, uh. which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I remember growing up, we had an NES and a Super Nintendo, um, which my dad bought with his birthday money. We were not we were not the most affluent family growing up, and I would have to play games until I beat them. That was the rule. Like I had to I had to finish the game before I could have a new game. I see. Um, and I remember there were like kids on my neighborhood and stuff that would just have like 60 Nintendo games. And I'm like, what do you think about the ending? And they're like, I didn't beat it. Whatever. <laughs> it's rare to find someone who actually finishes a game now, sadly. I, f- I finished every game I owned on Nintendo and Super Nintendo, um, many of which I bought myself. Um, but I, I, I remember there was a Christmas when my mom bought us. And I say us because me and my dad would play every game co-op that we could. Um, we got Donkey Kong Country. And there was a per- that was like the first game with a percentage counter that I can recall because you could just look and see that the number wasn't a hundred percent, and then know that I hadn't gotten every because I was like I beat it and she's oh, like that doesn't okay. say a hundred percent says sixty seven, so I I would then have to find every secret in the game. Joe was on <laughs> I'm pretty sure that game went up to hundred it was either a hundred five or hundred six percent. It actually went over a hundred percent, um, so I, I I did not go all the way. But yeah, I, I, it was, it's strange all the memories I have. I remember me and my dad would play Contra and we would not use the Konami code. That was, that was like sacrilege. Um, I'm pretty sure me and my dad, also named Mike, could sit down and beat Contra right now. Contra is an amazing game. You just memorize it. Like that's, that's there forever. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad did not believe in warping. Um, huge on playing straight through. Okay. Because uh, everybody, like, this is, this is what, this is something you can ask anyone. And I'm sure people listening are like, wait, I already thought about it that way. A lot of people say their favorite NES game was Super Mario 3. Ask them upon saying that, have you ever played it straight through? Because hmm. most people will say no. It's a long game. There's a lot of stuff in that game. Like, World 5, the Sky World, most people never played that level. <laughs> they played the first world, the second world. Probably went to the fourth world because it was cool because it was all giant, you know, and then went seven or eight. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you can go from world one to world eight if you get enough warp whistles. You just need two. You just need one to go in and then one to drop all the way down. 
So I played a lot of three of So how did you go from playing uh, video games as a kid to becoming creative champion? And what exactly? <laughs> <laughs> Chief creative champion. Yeah, you got to say it with gusto, or it doesn't count. That's right. Um, so they call you so, CCC. Yeah, I I got into PC gaming specifically. I mean, I, we always had a PC in the house, but it was always like smaller stuff. Like you'd, I'd go play Wheel of Fortune with my VGA graphics card, which I thought was the future of everything. <laughs> um, Did an Atari ST? I feel your pain. Yeah, I I, I remember. Half-Life was definitely the game as a teenager where I was like, what? Games can be like this? Mm. Um, and me and my friend Brian Thomas, my, one of my best friends, Brian Thomas, he actually works at Gearbox now, oddly enough, um, and we work together on a daily basis. Uh, we started together doing mod stuff, and we had we were screwing around with like TFC and things, and this, this little tiny mod cropped up called... Uh, Counter-Strike. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Mm -hmm. He says with a wink and a smile. Um, but we got involved with Counter-Strike really early, like alpha level stuff. Um, and I have some art in the early releases. And oh, wow. I was still, yeah, I was still working on Counter-Strike when I joined up with a new startup mod called Day of Defeat. <laughs> so I, I pretty much won the mod lottery back yeah, then. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um, and I was doing art for those. And, uh, I, I hooked up with Gearbox. Me and Brian both went, um, as contractors to work on Counter-Strike Condition Zero at Gearbox. Although the first thing we worked on was Half-Life for PlayStation 2, which was 11 and a half years ago. Um, cause it was early 2001. Has it been that long? Yeah. Yeah. I cause I was, I was working on Counter-Strike Condition Zero when 9-11 happened. So. Which I remember very vividly because we were working on a game with terrorists. And, right. And then suddenly that word was the most taboo word on the planet. <laughs> and like everyone else, we overreacted completely um, on what we were doing. And uh, yeah, I, I just moved up from there. I started getting into design. And I, I'm, my background's in writing. Um, I wrote all the Brothers in Arms games, wrote the first Borderlands, wrote all the DLCs for Borderlands. I'm writing Aliens, Clone of Marines right now. I wrote some stuff on Borderlands too. Um, I, yeah, I love to write. So it it all kind of combined into this this role that has grown up over time. Um, I I any of the trailers that come from Gearbox, I tend to edit myself. Um, I'll conceptualize them, pick the music, things like that. Um, there's a lot to the job. Mm -hmm. That's why it's Chief Creative Champion. Yeah. Like the word champion is important because I champion ideas, um, and then take them from start to finish. I haven't spoken to a writer uh, on the show yet. I have a friend who just got out of design school, uh, and he is in that track. I kind of get that there's divisions and what your specialty is when you go into designing games, and he is he's that. How do you become um, like employed with that, and what is it like to you just how do you process through that? I guess I'm saying to become a writer or a designer. Um, yeah, a writer. Um, every company is going to be different. I was working at Gearbox before we even really thought we needed writers for anything because it was really before, I mean, voice acting was sort of around, but it wasn't really around. Like we were driving things with narrative. Um, no, I, I mean, that's, that's what I've always loved doing. That's been my background. That's what I've always wanted to do. Um, so I just did it. I just kind of put my money where my mouth was and, uh, did it. And then we recorded some of it and then. Yeah, I just kept going. I, I remember one of the first monologues I ever wrote. 
It was for Brothers in Arms Hill 30, Road Hill 30. Um, I wrote this thing where I was like, the main character during the loading screens could do these monologues. I mean, obviously we don't have any, like, <laughs> we don't have any, like, ability to do lip syncing or anything. And since it's loading, I was like, we'll just play a sound. It'll be him talking over a black screen. Um, which became sort of the, the language of Brothers in Arms over time. But I remember that, that first monologue, people to this day still quote one of the sentences from it. Um, mostly in jest, but I'm like, it was sticky enough you remembered it for eight years. So obviously, <laughs> like, obviously there's something to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, it, it's, it's, it happened in a round and about way. I was like, I, I can write, I can do this, let me do it. And I just kind of started doing it and you, you, you take the licks as they come and you, and you push forward. I, as for applying to a company and being like, I want to write for you guys, which is more the climate now, mm. uh, I don't know. Like, uh, we only have one other writer at Gearbox, and I hired him myself. Um, it's Anthony Birch from Hash, which you plan. And I literally hit him up over LinkedIn after meeting him at GDC and was like, do you want a job? And that was the only person we interviewed. Cause, so it's like networking. You just kind of find people, and then you say. Well, yeah, I knew, I knew he'd be a good fit for Borderlands and Borderlands 2, because I had a lot on my plate with Aliens, and, and I knew that we needed some some muscle there. And he he took it on and, and did an amazing job. He's, he's super funny, but like it, it, that really, that lesson came down to, I can teach a funny person to write a game. I can't teach somebody that writes games to be funny. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's, that's just true of, of anything you can write in games. Like somebody that's like, I'm a game writer. I'm like, I'm a writer. I play the, <laughs> Cause a, a writer can write a novel or a screenplay or a game. Like it doesn't really matter if you like to tell stories and you're good at it. Um, you can learn how to do it technically, uh, as opposed to vice versa, where people are like, "All I read is games." I'm like, "How is that even real?" I was like, <laughs> "Well, I'm sure it helps that you were so experienced, kind of as a kid growing up. It's something you're familiar with to play through, and I'm sure there's a flow that's probably a little bit different in writing for a game than it is like your book, which I totally want to talk about. Just <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm getting there. <laughs> no, it's all good. No, yeah, there's a language to games, obviously. Um, I didn't mean to say obviously quite so snooty. Like obviously. <laughs> God, go watch Roswell. Oh. <laughs> and learn nothing about writing. <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah. right. No, it was more uh, the angst, the staring yeah. of the angst than the writing. I can see, yeah, teenage angst. I, I got my teenage angst through Buffy, which worked out really well for me. I was Don't like, I me. totally relate to Xander. He's just like me. He's <laughs> he totally makes out with hilarious, and none of the girls want to boink him. Except Courtney. Who? That snotty girl that he makes out with in the closet. Cordelia? Have you even seen the show? <laughs> okay. Courtney? Fine. I'm calling, Courtney. I'm calling Joss right now. <laughs> uh, you probably know him. No, I do. I actually don't. I've never met Joss. I know a lot of his friends, just not Joss. <laughs> Is it like seven steps to uh, Kevin Bacon? I'm, I'm waiting. Like, there will be a moment where I'll meet him and I will clam up and go all fanboy and it'll be amazing. Uh, anyway, what were we talking about? Um, you did some voices for Borderlands. That's what we were about to talk about. Oh, it is? Okay, yes. yes. I did. I am the voice of Scooter, um, the really? ride guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, get you one, that one. And uh, I am also the voice of the midget. <laughs> midget one? Yeah, well, no, there's only there's only one midget voice. It's just a bunch of me going, <laughs> and like raising <laughs> up a couple octaves. Uh, although in Borderlands 2, we did add some more to the midget. He says more words. They don't necessarily make sense, but he does say more things. Um, he named himself. He now refers to himself as Midge Midge. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot. There's a lot of really deep character development going on within the midget, the generic midget in Borderlands Two. <laughs> You're making fun of me with Cordelia, and you called him Midge Midge. 
He is, but that's his name. I wrote his name. <laughs> you called Cordelia the wrong name. Yes. Your listeners, there, if there's a comment section, they will be making you pay for this. <laughs> I'm sure I probably will. The rabid Buffy followers will take me down. They might. They are rabid. Mm. Okay, let's move into things you are writing now. Yes. Yes. So this is a side project that that you're working Which, on? I have a lot of side projects. I have a web show going on the side. I'm writing a comic book for a company I can't talk about yet because we haven't announced it yet. And I'm writing a novel online on the side. Okay, let's talk about the ones that you can talk about. Novel on the side and vid- video um, show thing. Uh, I also can't talk about that one either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just, just mentioned just- it. I, well, yeah, I can mention that these are happening. I can't say, you know. You're a news uh, tease. I, I'm sorry. I tried to list them in the order where the last one would be the thing we talked about. So, yeah, I am writing a book online, um, bozpublishing.com, B-O-Z Publishing. Uh, that comes from uh, uh, Charles Dickens' pen name in Oliver Twist, which is my favorite book. He wrote it under the name Boz. Um, but they, the idea came from uh, when when Charles Dickens wrote Oliver Twist, he wrote it serialized in um, magazines. Oh, so it actually came out a piece at a time. It was not... Because when you read it, it seems pretty obvious. They're like, he's just kind of going places here. Um, and I really like that about it. Like, you really don't know what's going to happen. It's just going to go freaking crazy. Um, and then it, it, it all comes together in the end. Um, I thought it would be interesting... Because I wrote a short story. I was in L.A., um, doing Aliens recording. I was working with the voice actors on Aliens, Colonial Marines. And I was walking down Sunset Boulevard back to my hotel, and I had an idea. And if you read the first chapter, you'll see, like, the main character, Alex, is walking down Sunset Boulevard back to, you know. Um, Art imitates life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the idea, I mean, it was, it was only supposed to be a short story. It was only going to be the first chapter. It was a short story where you see this, this conflict occurring where it's a, where it's a guy and his, and his girlfriend basically getting into a gunfight in a taco joint. Um, and then at the last yeah. second, wow. you actually find out that it's Alexander the Great, Joan of Arc, and Genghis Khan, and none of them really know why they're back. Um, but they're back, and obviously there's there's a conflict there. And the, that was going to be the short story. It's like, ha-ha, something big. And I, I got to the end of the, the chapter, and I was like, yeah, that's a new novel. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> like, it's, it was way too big for a short story. Um, so I started... I started by posting it on my blog, and for background on the blog situation, my blog, I just said the word blog like a thousand times, I'm so sorry. Um, you didn't say I started, blog, so it's okay. I, I started writing it, um, and I'm, I'm going to info drop on you 48 minutes into this podcast, just, just get ready. <laughs> um, I had a stroke last year in October, mm-hmm. and I started a blog to document my recovery and what was happening because okay. I couldn't really even walk for a long time. Oh my gosh. Uh, and then that picked up in February when Johns Hopkins told, called, called me to tell me I had multiple sclerosis, which did not cause the stroke that was caused by a heart condition. And they were like, you have all these things. So I started a blog to start talking about that and sharing my feelings and emotions about that. Um, cause it sort of sucked, obviously. Yeah, and no doubt. And I was like, I'm going to turn this into something constructive. And I posted five chapters from this book on the blog. Um, and it got a really, really awesome response. So I was like, okay, well, let's just do this for real. I, I'm, I'm tired of, for lack of a better term, like bitching about my problems, you know. Um, 
Because that's what it feels like when you when you share. Because really, I just was tired of so many different relatives that haven't talked to me in like four years calling me up, you know, and having to talk for two hours and explain everything. And I was like, I'm just going to post everything in one place. It's not because I'm tired of the relatives. It's just like you get really exhausted and have to explain over and yeah. over and over and over because um, it sucks and it, it's terrible to talk about and you don't want to. Um, so I, I wanted to put everything in one place so that everyone could see and it wouldn't, it wasn't censored. It wasn't like glossed over. It was very much my emotions at, at the time of each occurrence, which is really interesting for me to go back now, um, quite a few months later and be like, wow, I was kind of pissed off. <laughs> well, it's probably good to be able to um, see where your progression has been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so the stroke thing, you're just, you're just there and all of a sudden you're without any warning and no like health issues having a stroke. That's terrifying. Yeah, I have, I have a, a patent for Mala Valley. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. All med students and Latin fans. Um, basically means I have a tunnel through my heart. Oh. Which is not, which is not. Did you know about that beforehand? No. Oh. Um, but it's not uncommon to have a tunnel. What made my tunnel worse was that it changed the direction of airflow in my heart. Um, I believe from right to left through the atria. Yes, your unoxygenated blood's rolling back. Yeah, not cool. Basically, it means that my blood clots do not go straight into my lungs, like most people. Because people get blood clots in their leg all the time, and it doesn't matter because it just goes right in your lung and it's gone. If it goes backwards, then it goes um, to your brain. Oh, okay. And then, yeah, you, 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 you uh, basically pass out on the staircase after playing Left 4 Dead 2 at work. <laughs> oh. It's funny. I, rem- I remember very specifically as it was happening because people could not make fun of me enough for how bad I was playing Left 4 Dead that day. They were like, you're terrible. You- oh, I'm sure someone was like, what are you having a stroke? The like- irony is horrible. Yeah, it was because I, I walked. I got upstairs because the people I was playing with were upstairs, and I walked upstairs, and I said something to somebody. And by that that point, my like the left side of my face was like melting. Like I was like, ah, nah, nah. Mm-hmm. I said something that made no sense. Walked off, fell down the stairs. Um, and the next thing I remember is that I drove myself home. <gasps> I don't actually. Yeah, really, kind of horrifying. Nobody I, came and said, "Hey, you." Okay or whatever. I mean, I don't. I I didn't give them the opportunity. I just left. Um, it was nobody's fault. It was my fault. I just didn't know what was happening. Um, it was there was there was a really sharp, awful pain, and then everything just sort of stopped. And then next thing I know, I was at home, and I called my sister Steph because she lives in town. She's a nurse, and I called her, and. I told her I thought I was having a stroke, which I don't know what that feels like or what the symptoms are. And she's like, I don't think you're having a stroke. And I, I was on WebMD or something at the time, and there was nine symptoms of a stroke. And I was like, I have all nine of these things. Mm. And she didn't even hesitate. She was at my house in like two minutes. She was just like, yep. Drove over, I'm sure, unsafe speeds. Uh, picked me up, drove in the hospital. And, and yeah, as it turns out, yes. Well, it's really amazing that they found out at least what's wrong, and hopefully they can, I don't know, they fix it, they surgery it or whatever, so it doesn't happen again, or as you know. Um, the surgery is pretty risky and doesn't necessarily um, fix it. I'm on blood thinners and things to combat that. Like, the, the blood thinners, doing like 325 milligrams of a blood thinner is actually just as effective, if not more effective, 
than putting in these umbrellas into your heart. Oh, okay. Which has risk as well. Basically, you just need to, you know, you, you go with it and see what happens. Like, it's, it's, it's not exact science because I'm kind of an anomaly. Um, which is kind of cool. You're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm neat. I'm like a science puzzle. <laughs> Bring it on, science. <laughs> yeah, they're going good now. I'm doing crazy podcasts where I don't even know I'm doing them until two minutes before. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, thank you again for doing that. That's awesome. And I, I wanted to channel that into something productive. Um, and I had, a, I, I had a lot of feelings and emotions and things I wanted to channel into a book. And I, I, I got bosspublishing.com. And we are through chapter 27 posted. Um, which is about 245 pages, I think. Um, and yeah, we just, wow. we post a couple a week and, and yeah, we, we just passed, uh, 36,000 chapters read on the website, um, by random people that are cool. So you're going to condense all of the short things that you're actually putting out right now into a book to publish, or do you recommend that people like, how, how publish- should you read it? <laughs> how should you read it? Which, whichever way you want, like that, 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 that was very important to me starting out. So you can go to the website right now. If you go to bosspublishing.com, which I'm going to keep saying like I'm a politician, um, it's, it's actually fixed height and fixed width for something like a tablet, like a Kindle hmm. or an iPad. So it works just like iBooks or Amazon Kindle or whatever would work on your tablet. You just click. And then it brings you up a table of contents, and you just click a chapter, and it, it loads the entire chapter at one time. So you can just hit right, and it loads the pages like really fast. Okay. Um, it's actually really cool tech that runs the website. So that's the website. Um, the way I'm actually putting it all out there in some way to see if I make any money, who knows? Um, uh, you can go to Amazon, you can type my name, or you can type the returners, um, and you'll get season one, part one. So I'm doing. Basically, I'm doing it in seasons because it's serialized and I, I know where it ends and I know a lot of what the storytelling will be and where it's going, but I'm kind of playing with it like it's a TV show, um, which I think is really cool. Um, it'll probably go for five seasons, but yeah, so it's, it's season one, part one is up on Amazon. Each season is three parts. So we're almost done with season one, part two, which will then also go up on Amazon as an ebook. Um, and when we're done with part three of season one, That'll also go up as another, like, you can buy them all separately for, They'll like, stand alone, but you could put them together then at the end. Yeah, ah, yeah. Okay. And when season one's done, there'll be a season one omnibus, which will be both on the Kindle store. I and, know that word. Is it not the best? Well, that's, I, I stole it from, from Hugh Howie from, from Wool. He made, he took the first, by the way, if you haven't read Wool, it's amazing. Read oh, it. It's awesome. What is It's so good. Just type Wool on Amazon and just get in rad. Like, don't even learn a damn thing about it. Seriously, <laughs> okay, don't. Okay, okay. Don't. Just, just, just go, just go read it. Um, and, and he was awesome. I, t- I talked to him a couple times on Twitter, but yeah, he, his stuff just got picked up by Ridley Scott of all people cool. to make a movie. So not doing so bad there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but his, his, his book's amazing. But yeah, he took the first, he did part one, part two, part three. He combined the first five parts into an omnibus and that sold like crazy. So I'm going to do sort of a similar thing. I'm going to take the season one, part one, two, three. It's just going to be combined into the season one omnibus, and that'll be on Amazon Kindle store. And we're, I'm hoping to do a, a, a full book through Lulu. 
Okay. Uh, What's the next. name? Tell the name of the book. The Returners. The Returners. As a side note, have you ever seen uh, Jane McGonagall, a uh, super better? Do you know that that story? She gave- you said McGonagall, and I just immediately went Harry Potter. Oh, sorry. Uh, Jane McGonagall, she gave a talk at TED uh, this year about she had a concussion and was suicidal for a long time because she, she couldn't get out of bed, she couldn't move, and she was having just like a really hard time with this. And so she re- wrote this game called Super Better, which is supposed to kind of help you... Um, I guess boost resilience by like small achievements, and it's kind of interesting how people seem to, like I guess, take one of two tracks when they have like something traumatic happen to them like that, where you know they kind of either just mope about it or they turn it into something like creative, which is cool that you did. Yeah, I mean, I was on I was on a cane for, gosh, from when I got out of the hospital in October, and it's been probably about sixty days, so two months, so sometime in. May, I stopped using my cane for a good, which was interesting because like people were mailing me canes like over the internet. <gasps> so I have like ten of them. I have a bunch of really cool canes. So I, part of me is actually sad that I can't use a cane anymore. You are set for uh, steampunk, my friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do have a Dickensian cane. Um, actually, Jessica gave me that. I just like saying the word Dickensian. Um, but yeah, physical therapy basically. I mean, got me back to normal. Didn't have any achievements, though. I didn't have one of those Nike fuel bands that I hear so much about. <laughs> That's what this game is like. You get achievements for everything. You could have said, like, throwing away a cane, achievement, plus 10 points, and you'd feel really good. I'm just going to write that on a piece of paper and staple it to my wall. I see. Call it an achievement. I'll just walk in my room every day and go, <laughs> Ding! Level. Yeah. Exactly. What else is going on at um, Gearbox that we should look for? Well, Borderlands 2 comes out September 18th. Um, I have some friends who really love that, and they're they played all the DLCs, and are really looking forward to that. I haven't made it through the first one yet, but I've got like six games on my plate. I will get there. Well, good day. I know. I will. I will get there. You don't have much more time, actually. You're you're starting to run out. We're we're under two months now, so <laughs> we're we exactly at two months. What are we at? It's July sixteenth. So. Two months and two days. Isn't that sad? It seems like uh, I only finish a game, like the same thing with Darksiders. Like now that Darksiders 2 is coming out soon, I, yeah. I'm compelled to finish Darksiders. And that's probably what will happen with Borderlands. But it's, it's, I, I must warn you, Borderlands 2 is very large. The game will, will take over. Because we've all been doing our play tests, like as, as we're shipping the game, playing through everything. And I'm like, this game takes forever. It's so big. But you're not like, <laughs> You're not at all bored because there's so much stuff. I can't believe how much stuff we made and put in that game. It's it's crazy. It's it's the best thing I've ever been a part of by far. So I'm excited for September 18th. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Anything else you want to tell us about Borderlands 2? Now, now you can say spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert? <laughs> now you yes, won't. Wait, really? Because there's not a bunch of people that would get really mad at me if I oh, spoiled okay. it. Scooter is in it. I, which I think already got announced. Scooter's sister. We talked. We announced that today, actually. Um, if you watch the trailer, there's a there's a a very bulbous woman, we'll say, <laughs> and uh, her name is Ellie, and that is Scooter's sister. Um, so yeah, we're we're filling out the whole Scooter clan, which is really exciting to me. Excellent. Okay, we're getting ready to wrap up. We're at about an hour here. Is there we anything? are. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to share before we do so? And like any sites you want people to visit? No, I, I, it's, it's very strange. I feel like you've got more out of me in one podcast than anyone ever had. Because, like, we talked about my childhood and being 
fatally murdered by dogs and Contra Codes and, you know, Counter-Strike, Dave Defeat, Borderlands. All the like, We've really just kind of hit every major milestone in my life, I think, in one very clean, hour-long package. Excellent. Well, I have to tell the listeners that Mikey has saved my butt because I actually had another interview tonight, and it did not work out. And he stepped in, not even knowing me, and just decided to just... <laughs> test fate by saying, hey, I'll do this, which was very awesome for you. I, I appreciate that a lot. I think it worked out pretty good. Yeah. You were, you were, that was fun. Was minus, fun. minus the weird start. The start threw me for <laughs> a loop a little bit. The part where I said that you were in hell or the part where it sounded like uh, NPR? The, the NPR part, because I was like, when's she going to stop talking? When am I supposed to talk? What is happening? What is going on? Why is she showing no emotion? <laughs> no, it's a long it's intro. I'm not gonna even, I'm not even gonna stop to say hello. And then, like, it was so, like, <laughs> weird. Why don't you say hello and I'll just stick it just, in there? You said this is the 71st podcast, I believe. It is. Just yes. for, for 72, introduce and be like, say hello, person I just introduced. And then that would, that would alleviate so much. It used to be like that, you know? I think I took it out for some reason because people were so awkward. Like, I would say, and oh. here with me is Mikey Newman. And people were like, give me the deer in the headlights look and be like, hi! And then we would move uh, on. Yeah, no, I can see that. I I have also done like really weird podcasts where like the they they don't like say enough. Like the person hosting it won't ask questions. They'll just be like, mm-hmm. So say more about that. And you're like, I just did all of the <laughs> the saying I can say about that. Thank you very much. Let me redefine the concept of interview for you. Yeah. And I'm just like, Peter Jennings, why? <laughs> it wasn't really that. I didn't really talk to Peter Jennings. Yeah. I wish. That would be cool. It would be cool. A big thank you to Mikey, and you can find him on Twitter at MikeyFace. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you can find me on Twitter at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, email your questions, advice, or suggestions to Gray at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a new episode.